0: I want to tell you about my nightly routine. My husband, Nick, is asleep next to me. That man passes out every night like a bear fatted up on salmon. My kids, a couple of tiny terrorists, are finally asleep. I always know better, but my hand reaches for my phone and I start scrolling and scrolling through pictures. Seconds later, I'm immersed in a completely different world. I can picture myself on an Australian beach with a bohemian tribe of mom friends. All of us wear matching earth tone linen dresses. We're drinking out of stainless steel wine tumblers. Our gang of feral but so chic children run barefoot on the sand. And our scruffy yet independently wealthy husbands surf the easygoing waves. Next scroll. Now I'm inside the house. The clean white house with kids who don't seem at all like terrorists. They're all dressed in adorable little striped Long John pajamas that make them look like Keebler elves or suburban garden gnomes. They snuggle together beneath pearly white sheets. One last scroll. We're in New York. A pre-war loft apartment with the cheeriest yellow upright piano you've ever seen. Kids are laughing and singing. They're dyeing Easter eggs and crafting from found materials like empty toilet paper rolls. There's a farmer's market. So much arugula. This is not my life. It's not my friends' lives either. These are the lives of mom influencers on Instagram who I have never met, but who I followed on a random night exactly like this one when I couldn't sleep. And yeah, it is a little creepy to watch someone you've never met in person snuggling in their bed with their Keebler elf children, especially while you're in your own bed.
1: How long have you been looking at Instagram tonight?
0: Hmm? Um, five minutes.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: That's a lie.
2: Yeah, more like 55.
0: According to the Screen Tracker app on my phone, I was on Instagram for three hours last night. Uh-huh.
2: You are an addict, my love.
0: What am I addicted to? Kitchens? Instagram. Oh. Cool. Let me go shoot up some of this Instagram. That's my husband, Nick. He doesn't use Instagram. And he's not totally wrong. That is time that I could have been reading, sleeping, having sex with my husband, or writing the great American novel, which is actually my job. But I can't stop scrolling and scrolling and looking at these picture-perfect images of motherhood that could be me if I were just a little more organized, a little more creative, a little less exhausted, if I had a little bit more money, if I were just a little bit better. I like watching mom influencers. I like it because in my desperate moments holding a screaming baby in the middle of the night, or when my toddler draws what looks exactly like a penis on the wall in permanent marker, I can see another way to be a mom. A way that seems beautiful. And if not beautiful, at least clean and penis-free. The pictures on these Instagram accounts feel like both a path to, and the promise of, this kind of life. One night about a year ago, I realized something. I had a toddler spread-eagled in the middle of my bed, and a baby with her head nuzzled right in my armpit. I was covered in just a little bit of breast milk, a fair amount of pee. And that's when I realized that I could, with just one click, purchase what I needed to be like these women in the pictures through their tags and links and the swipe ups i could buy their lacy nursing bra their long flowing dresses their sustainable cloth napkins and bamboo forks for toddlers that are very very good for the earth i realized that all of these seemingly perfect mothers on social media they were all trying to sell me something i didn't need to create my own perfect life i could buy theirs and i did
2: I just got introduced to the Teeny Mixit,
1: which is a portable blender. I just wanted to thank
3: OXO
4: for sending why I this the fish price range of toys because most of them Mark aren't just toys gift. full stop. God, oh and a whisk, a whisk, a whisk. Oh my
0: god. Ooh. This revelation it changed everything about how I looked at Instagram. I was no longer Dorothy, dazzled by Oz. I'd pulled back the curtain and I began to see it for the business that it is. Brands are gonna bring in more than $10 billion from Instagram this year, 15 billion by 2022.
1: It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Advertisers and marketers are just increasing more and more of their budgets to the influencer space, to Instagram specifically.
0: Viral Nation gets 50 to 100 emails a week
4: from people who want to become influencers and how they're willing to do anything in the world necessary to become an influencer and they'll dedicate 24 hours a day they won't sleep.
5: People got to hustle, right?
2: They're trying to be entrepreneurs on Instagram. They're trying to build their brand. They're trying to market to an audience. And they are showing you things that they have been paid to show
0: you. Instagram. It's an influencer's world. And we're just scrolling through it. This is an eight-part series about the multi-billion-dollar mom-influencing industrial complex. An industry dominated by women and consumed by women that's largely been ignored by the mainstream media. Why? Well, it's a woman thing. If this were an industry run by men, it would be covered over and over again in the business section, not the style section. Who are these women? Why are they doing this? Are their lives really as perfect as they seem? And how do they make money? We'll find out. I'm Joe Piazza, and you're Under the Influence. Welcome to Chapter One A More Perfect Mother. I never thought that I would be making a podcast about Instagram. For the past few years, I've been trying to get off social media, but then I got pregnant for the second time in three years, I had a little girl named B, and B did not sleep and wouldn't take a bottle, so I really didn't sleep. I got back on Instagram because I was lonely, and it was the one thing I could do with one hand with a baby attached to my nipple. I stayed because it's addictive. Before I had my adorable little terrorists, I pictured motherhood completely differently. I imagined myself making baby food from scratch, delightful playdates with other new moms that involved a lot of wine, wearing my baby to meetings with my book agent like a little capuchin monkey. (laughs) Yeah, those dreams were fucking cute. Most days I feel like I'm failing at pretty much everything. So maybe it's a good thing that there's an entire industry that makes us feel like we can just buy our way out of our perceived failings as mothers. But who are these women making me feel both better and worse about my own life, depending on the day?
1: I think of an influencer as someone who earns money from collaborating with brands to make social media content. And it's someone who... Pays attention to their audience, you know, is working on carefully cultivating an audience on social media to earn income.
0: Meet Emily
1: Hund. I'm a research fellow with the Center on Digital Culture and Society at the Annenberg School for Communication at the University of Pennsylvania. And I study social media influencers.
0: Emily was one of the first people I talked to when I was trying to report out how influencing works. At first, I was kind of blown away that this is a topic that academics are seriously tackling these days. There's a lot of
1: disagreement even among, you know, the people involved about who counts as an influencer. A lot of marketers that I've talked to describe it as a blend of art and science
0: (laughs) when they're trying to figure out who an influencer is, like who counts. The word influencer in terms of social media was actually made an official word in the English language in 2019. Merriam-Webster officially says it is a, quote, person who is able to generate interest in something, such as a consumer product, by posting it on social media. Legally, according to an article from the American Bar Association, an influencer is any person with credibility who can influence the opinions or purchase decisions of others.
1: So the shoppable life on Instagram is this idea that we're presenting our lifestyles in images and in Instagram stories and that they can be merchandised and monetized pretty seamlessly. Social media platforms, especially Instagram, have enabled shopability to reach a new height and, you know, sort of become what the, its proponents like always hoped it would be.
0: Lifestyles that can be merchandised and monetized. Lives that can be monetized. Let's sit with that for a minute. None of this is actually new to me. I was a celebrity journalist for the better part of the 2000s, and I wrote an entire book on how celebrities make money. It's called Celebrity Inc. Back in 2009, I reported on how Charlie Sheen got paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to tweet for internships.com. How Brad and Angelina made money off their baby pictures, and how Jessica Simpson got paid to lose weight. I learned real early on in my career to follow the money. So let's follow the influencer money for a minute. Let's do a little bit of math. There are plenty of aspiring influencers who lose money. They spend more money trying to be an influencer than they bring in. On the flip side of that, plenty of women have found themselves in the very comfortable position of making between fifty thousand and seventy five thousand dollars a year by monetizing their Instagrams. That is more than the average teacher's salary. Some women even make so much money that their husbands are quitting their own jobs to manage their wives' Instagram brands. These are called Instagram husbands, and we will meet them in a later episode. Now, there are also a small handful of mom influencers who have become millionaires. But it's more interesting if we break this down by post There is a baseline formula for how much an influencer gets paid for a single post. It's about $100 per 10,000 followers. $100 per 10,000. That means that top influencers, influencers with a half a million followers, can make $5,000 for a single Instagram post. For one picture. Most influencers post at a rate of once a day. That's the recommended sweet spot. So even if only half of those posts are sponsored, that comes out to a salary of $910,000 a year. Just under a cool million. Admittedly, those kinds of influencers are rare. Much less rare are influencers with about a quarter of a million followers, 250,000. By the $100 per 10,000 follower metric, they could stand to make about $450,000 a year. That salary is very close to the top 1% of income earners in America. The rest of us are just the bottom 99%. My Instagram addiction and my mom influencer consumption, all of that is just feeding this beast. I started talking about all of this with my fellow magazine writer, Glynis McNichol. You're going to hear from her a lot in this podcast. She's my most trusted editor and a sounding board for everything that I write. But she's also an objective bystander to the mom-influencing world. She doesn't have kids, and she doesn't follow any of these women on Instagram. Because of that, she probably doesn't have the same kind of Stockholm Syndrome that I have. We talk a couple nights a week, usually when I'm hiding in my bathroom, trying to get very important things done, like shaving the bottom half of my legs. And I recently confessed to her that Nick and I were at war over my Instagram habit. I got chastised yet again for scrolling the Instagram. Nick was just like, no, he's just like Jesus Christ. He's like, how much time have you spent on that, on that thing? He, he, I think he actually genuinely believes I'm addicted to Instagram. I think it's true. I think we all are. But I also feel like it's totally normal. I feel like every woman that I know is just scrolling Instagram before they go to sleep to try to do their broken soul.
2: Oh, completely. I write down my goals for the week. And my number one goal is don't look at your computer before bed. And every night I'm in bed, scrolling, watching The Office, trying not to watch The Daily Show, looking at Twitter. Like, it's terrible. No wonder I have insomnia. I mean,
0: not Nick, but most men are looking at their phones and they're just looking at porn. (laughs) We look at Instagram and most men are just looking at porn. It's a pastime.
2: And I also, I just want to give a shout out to the women who look at porn before bed. I think there's plenty of women who look at porn before bed. What's interesting to me though is... Once you realize the numbers and you realize that so many people are doing it and that so much money is being generated from it, then it's fascinating that we are leaving like such a huge portion of media not discussed, essentially, or that it sort of
0: operates in the shadows. Well, the question is, are you talking about Instagram right now or porn?
2: I think we have a shifting acceptance or grading system of what is acceptable to whom at what time. And it's not a surprise that the things that appeal to women and bring them comfort or release, or satisfaction are largely considered a waste of time.
0: And a frivolous
4: addiction. I can't and nor I shouldn't be able to sit there on the couch and just thumb through porn and be like, Hey honey, I'm just looking at porn, but you can do that with the, with the lifestyle porn, right? There's zero negative stigma around it, around its consumption. And I wanted to just lend a little bit of that stigma from porn onto this lifestyle porn. I wanted people to just think about it differently.
0: That is Mike Thayer. Mike's a blogger and an author who lives in Utah. In 2017, he wrote a blog post that compared mom-influencing posts on Instagram to porn. And like porn, this industry generates billions of dollars in profits. And like porn, the question of who's earning that money feels a little shady and secretive. And a lot of the time, I feel like some of the women with these influencer accounts are performing motherhood for their audience.
4: I came up with this article that I published called Utah Lifestyle Porn Capital of the World. I I thought it would hit a nerve, and it definitely did. One of the things I thought was interesting was not just the presence of people from my religion and my community. And when I say community, I mean like my high school, but the prevalence.
0: When Mike talks about his community, he's talking about his Mormon community, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
4: They weren't just present in the mommy blogging community but they like dominated it they were like some of the most successful people and there are a lot of them so i thought that was weird you know i come from a religion that espouses the importance of charity and humility and to avoid vanity and so all of this stuff came together i was like okay it's curated for maximum allure and addiction it gives people feelings of inadequacy i was like where have i heard all this stuff before oh yeah, I've heard it in church about porn. I was like, this, this is porn.
0: Is it strange and a little uncomfortable for a man to have an opinion about sites run by women and mostly targeted to women? Is it fair? Well, Mike says his main concern was the effect these Instagram accounts would have on the women in his family.
4: The thought that my daughters or my wife or my 20-some-odd nieces, I come from Utah, would feel inadequate about their beauty or their style or their future spouses for a second because of something they saw on some influencers' Instagram post, it makes me physically ill. Now that I say my daughter is 13 and a lot more influenced than she was, you know, back when I wrote this article, I'm terrified of it. Absolutely terrified.
0: Dads being terrified for their daughters is nothing new. 60 years ago, dads were terrified that just watching Elvis on TV would get their daughters pregnant. But given how popular this content is, I understand his concern. And he's got a point. I clearly have a different life than Mike. But when I started to examine my Instagram feed like a journalist instead of a fan, I realized that more than half of the mom influencers that I follow on Instagram are Mormon women or are former members of the LDS church. These include Love Taza, Hey, Natalie Jean, and Design Mom. When we come back, we're going to explore how the Mormon moms became patient zero of the mom influencing industrial complex.
5: So Mormon mommy bloggers were actually among the first mommy bloggers. They preceded almost everybody else.
0: That's Catherine Geezer morton She's a PhD candidate in sociology at Concordia University, and she studies, of all things, mom influencers.
6: So
5: Mormon moms are encouraged to keep a lot of records of their family's growth and, you know, just milestones and all that scrapbooking type thing. So there was always a practice within Mormon domesticity of like taking pictures and making these special documents. So blogging was really like a natural next step when blogs became accessible, like Mormon moms were like, sweet, we're going to blog now. So that's how they started. It was an outgrowth of existing practices that the community had.
0: Certain corners of the internet refer to the Mormon mom blogging and influencing community by the nickname the blogger knackle and it has been encouraged from on high. Let's rewind a little bit to April 6th, 1830. This is when members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believed that the Lord gave a command to one of their founders, Joseph Smith.
4: Behold, there shall be a record kept among you.
0: Now fast forward. A 2007 commencement address to the graduating class of Brigham Young's Hawaii campus It's by Church Elder M. Russell Ballard. He's the acting president of the Mormon Church's Quorum of Twelve Apostles. May I ask
3: you to join the conversation by participating on the Internet, particularly the new media, to share the gospel. Most of you already know that if you have access to the Internet, you can start a blog in minutes and begin sharing what you know to be true.
5: I think a lot of these moms are like, okay, well, I'll just tone down the religious dimension so that, you know, I appeal to more people. Because people were there for the aesthetic. They loved the kind of, I guess, the, the cuteness.
0: Mormon mom influencers look better than me. They look way happier and brighter and more energetic than I do. They don't look exhausted. Maybe it's because they had their kids so young and did not suffer from the same decades of drinking and smoking before having their children. Their hair is bouncy, their skin's shiny. My pores are still clogged with the nicotine from all the cigarettes that I smoked from age 19 to 29. I will never, ever, ever look as perfect as a Mormon mom influencer.
5: It helps to be a young mom, right, in terms of the visuals. And so it really requires this discipline, this kind of incredibly rigorous discipline, this kind of social discipline
0: that I think is like, I just, it blows my mind. Part of me freaking loves the Mormon mommy escapism. The picture-perfect lives filled with DIY crafts and nut-free pastries. True story, my son's school took a picture of a chocolate bar in his lunch the other day with the caption, is this a nut? It was a nut. It's a nut-free school. And I failed at lunch. The Mormon mom's lives look so much less messy and complicated than mine. They seem to have the one thing that I want more of time. They seem to be able to enjoy motherhood with three times the kids that I have. And maybe that's because the Mormon church places a value on motherhood, a value on motherhood and the domestic arts that does not exist at all within my social circle, my peer group. They've told me that my career and professional success are way more important than anything I'd ever do in my home. Being a mom and being a good mom are like an underappreciated side hustle in my world. Maybe that's why I'm so attracted to the Mormon mom accounts, and I am not the only one.
6: Women who were raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints—we come from a long line of homemakers and women who are brilliant and creative and intuitive. And so many of us grew up as the children of stay-at-home moms who did things really well. They used all of the intelligence that many other women were putting into the workforce and all the creativity and did it in their home and created some really incredible traditions and systems that really are successful and inspirational.
0: That's Brooke Romney. She is not related to the other Mormon Romney she's a mom, a blogger, and an influencer. The kinds of images that Brooke and her friends post are inspirational to me, and also to the millions of other women who follow their accounts. I can't turn away from women with five, six, seven, eight children. I want to know everything about them. Their life hacks for keeping a clean house.
2: And who made your bed? I. Yeah, can you show me how? Show me how
0: taking long trips with a basketball team of kids, cooking dinner for three different stages of toddlers.
5: Chocolate bean, peanut butter cup oatmeal, I eat this almost every day, it's from the winter meal plan.
0: Looking at their perfection can be inspiring because if they can do it with eight kids, then I could definitely do it with two.
6: Today I am talking to you about summertime is more than screens, finding a happy balance with your tweens and teens. I thought that I could share how our family composts? I thought it could be helpful. I always want to be helpful. I think it started as, you know, these are some things that really work well for our family. And then like any smart capitalist, they use that as a springboard for making money. And they had a great idea and a following and then turned it into a profit. I think we should be celebrating the fact that these women are creating incredible content with hundreds of thousands of followers And they're being paid for doing a job well done. Content creation is serious business. And you know that. To create something that's worthy of people coming back to or even stopping their scroll takes a lot of talent. And so I do think that women should be paid for doing things that add value to other people's lives. They're essentially
0: benefiting, profiting off the unpaid labor of motherhood. It's fucking brilliant that idea, that is where we start to get to the really interesting part of this world. Yes, consumers like me are being manipulated by ads that prey on my insecurities as a crappy mother. But this is also an industry that allows women to thrive, that allows mothers to thrive, that allows mothers to make money, to support their families, to empower themselves in a world that doesn't do a goddamn thing to help women do that. I didn't coin that idea,
3: The expectations on women are just out of control. We're doing three hours more childcare a week in our lives, and we're also working more, and we're also working full-time.
0: That very passionate woman, that is Liz Lenz. She is one of the most astute social commentators and writers on motherhood of our time. I'm giving her that title. She also started out as a mommy blogger because it was the only media job she could get while raising her kids in Iowa. Now she does a lot of other things, including writing articles for very fancy magazines and writing books. But Liz did write a piece about mommy bloggers for Topic Magazine, where she said, quote, finding your brand has become a punchline, but it's also a way to profit off the exhausting unpaid labor of motherhood. I called her to talk about that, about how hard most mothers are working and not getting paid for it.
3: So no wonder women break and say, you know what? Peace out on this. I'm gonna take my kids to the park, take a couple pictures of it and earn some money that way. A woman who can make money, who can innovate and find a way to make money gets power and gets freedom in a way that is so primal and so necessary. Studies show women are working more than they ever have before earning, well, until the pandemic, earning more than they had before, and doing more child care than women did in the 70s. And so you create a system built on the unpaid labor of women, because that's what it boils down to. We rely on the unpaid labor of women to fill in the gaps when we won't pay for parental leave after a woman has a baby, where we won't help with child care, where Companies will not invest in that on any sort of level. And now we strip women down to their bare parts. And we're realizing that we built our society on this unpaid labor. And then when they scream and snap and say, fuck you, I'm going to make money by getting sponsored by Huggies and snuggle my baby on the couch. And that that's also doing it wrong, too.
0: <laughs> you know, it's just like we are women and everything we do is wrong. You're fucked
3: either way. That's what I keep telling people. Like the reality is, have a baby, don't have a baby. Get married or don't get married. Do whatever you want. Like you're fucked anyway, so decide which way you want to get fucked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we just figured out a way to make this podcast go viral where it will get no advertisers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like advertisers will at first be nervous.
0: Totally nervous.
3: Yeah. But then once they see the impact, will be totally on board and then exploit you for all your worth. That's how capitalism
0: works. Oh, and that's all I want. I just want to be exploited for all that I'm worth. <laughs> Even amidst a global pandemic, the influencing industry is only expected to grow more lucrative there's 100% growth in the mom influencing category year over year. As my college career counselor would have told me a lot of years ago, it's a good job in a growth industry. I would like a good job just about now. Steady jobs feel way harder to come by these days, even when you have a really successful career behind you. I used to make magazines and websites than I used to write for magazines and websites. That kind of content has been decimated in the past 10 years. I don't in know order who for me to make what a mid-tier influencer makes on a single post, I'd have to write out, about like, a half right, dozen my next liar, thousand mom. word articles for a website of a magazine. 90% of writers that I know are scrambling to figure out what the hell they should do next. Some of them are becoming doulas or Uber drivers. This right here is the very definition of precarity. Here's Emily Hund again. In
1: this time where jobs and careers are less certain than they once were, personal branding has emerged as an answer to that. If you can cultivate this public brand and sort of sell yourself to the world, you'll be okay.
0: In a country that stripped away nearly all of our safety nets even as jobs are lost by the millions, most people are trying to figure out how to survive, especially working mothers. And especially right now. According to a study from Pew Trusts, women are three times as likely to lose their jobs than men because of the pandemic. Hearing that reminds me how throughout history, women have consistently been set up for failure. As I dug into the research for this podcast, I started to think that maybe I could also do this. Not in the maybe I could be a Jeopardy champion or a marathon runner or a contestant on the British Bake Off kind of way, but a serious, maybe this could be my job kind of way. To be honest, I'm starting to feel a little irrelevant in a world where relevance is increasingly determined by likes. And the world of influencing is more than a little dazzling. I keep thinking about something Brooke Romney said to me about why the Mormon mommy bloggers deserve to make all the money that they make.
6: Content creation is serious business, and you know that. And so I do think that women should be paid.
0: Women's work's been devalued since the beginning of women. And I absolutely do think that these women should be paid for doing things that add value to people's lives. But what's the value they're adding? And why can't we turn away from them? Who are these women really behind their filters? What are their lives actually like? And if this is the future of content, the natural progression of glossy magazines, is it possible that this is exactly what I should be trying to do next?
2: So is this the end of the story? Do you feel like your curiosity has been satisfied?
0: No, Glennis. not even a little bit. This is just the beginning. I'm going to report the hell out of it.
2: I find that very shocking, Joe Piazza, author of many books, editor of many magazines,
0: host of many podcasts. (laughs) And I'm good at making content. I can report this and I can also try it out because to me, being an influencer seems like a pretty low bar for content creation. I don't need to research a 10,000 word article, I don't need to do 10 interviews. I'm just gonna take a picture and write a caption.
2: Famous last words. I think anytime we think something is easy money, it's the answer is, think again. But we're gonna find out because you have very cute kids. You influence me every day.
0: You influence me too. As I attempt to cross over from purchaser to seller, we'll find out if I can be paid to try to be a more perfect mother. Under the Influence is reported and hosted by me, Joe Piazza. Our story editor is Glynis McNichol. Emily Marinoff is our producer. We had production assistance from Mary Do and sound design from Emily Marinoff, Jessica Kreinchich, and Julian Weller. Our theme and additional music was composed by Jessica Kreinchich. Additional research conducted by Jocelyn Sears. Julian Weller is also our consulting producer. And Manga Shetikador is our executive producer. Huge, huge special thanks to Morgan Jones of the Deseret News for all of her insights into the Mormon mom blogging community, and to Hamilton Lighthouser, who is the voice of Joseph Smith in this episode.